Welcome to the Holistic Wellness and Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kimberly Ann Marsden. And on today's show, we are going to be talking about all things related to rock hounding, what it is, where you go to do it, how to do it, and what you can actually find when you're out there digging around in the dirt. So on today's show, we have some very special guests who are going to help us explore the spiritual side of mindfully collecting stones as a practice of presence and a way to be one with nature. Rock hounding is a fun, healthy activity for individuals and families that gives you the opportunity to create memories, connect to nature, and practice your ability to be in the moment of now. So join us. Here we go. Hello, hello. Today I have with me Pam and Andy from the Indigo Sanctuary. They are rock hounds and spiritual artists. So we are going to be talking all about rock hounding today. So thank you, Pam and Andy, for joining me today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. We're glad to be here. All right. So let's just start off. Because to be honest, before I met you guys, I didn't even know what the term rock hounding meant. So let's let people know what is rock hounding and how do you do it? Rock hounding is collecting rocks, but there's a lot that can go into it. Um, There's a lot of research that goes into it and a lot of uh, scientific investigation that can go along with it. So rock hounding you know, has many different levels of of expertise and activity, but it's open to everyone and it's a great experience for everyone. Uh, Just being able to go out into nature is just great. Nature is our healing place. And going out and, and finding rocks and gemstones on your own adds to your experience and it gives you an appreciation for the awe of the universe that so many beautiful and diverse stones can be created. And uh, it's it makes sure that the stones you get have great pure energy because you're collecting them in a respectful way. So that's, that's what rock hounding is. Very cool. So if people say, okay, I want to go rock hounding. So how are there certain places they should go? How do they find out where to go? Well, the first thing you can do is go on Facebook and see if there is a rock hounding group in your state, because very often they will have field trips or people will describe and show pictures of what they found and if, if, they're, if they're generous, they'll tell you where it is. We make sure that we share locations with people because people have been generous with us very often and we like to pass it on. So Facebook groups are a good way to do it, especially during COVID because there are mineralogical societies in many areas across the country that have field trips, but that may have changed because of COVID. Uh, you can also go on the internet and just Google rock hounding in a specific location and you can find out places to go. Um, when you're beginning to rock hound, it's really good to find a place where you know that you're going to have a likelihood of finding something that you're going to find rewarding. Um, because a lot of times, you know, you can find a rock like Rhodonite and Rhodochrosite, which we collected, it's black on the outside from the manganese. And until you crack it open, you don't know whether you've got that beautiful pink or white that you're looking for. So there's a a learning curve to it at times. But if you Mm -hmm. find a great place to go from someone's experience, um, then you're you're pretty much going to have a good good, uh, experience. And there are a number of really good books out there. There's two series that we like. One is um, called A Falcon Guide, and they have different states, and you can buy them. And sometimes they'll give you even GPS coordinates for the site. So they'll tell you um, how to get there, what kind of vehicle you need, whether you need any special equipment. Like 
heavy hammers or whether it's just picking up and looking. And the other is Gem Trails. That's the second series. And whenever we go to a place, we recently were in Utah for two weeks, rock hounding. We bought both books because um, they will very often have different locations for you. So that's really a great way to, to, to find out where to go when you plan a trip. Awesome. So then if, so now let's pretend, you know, we've planned a trip, we're going somewhere. Do we need permits? Do we need what, you know, what do we need? But then also what is our experience going to be when we get there as far as like, how do you know, what's it like? Well, the question about permits is a really good one because there are rules of etiquette that rock hounds follow. And one is always respect private property. And two is respect the earth and don't make a mess, you know, take out, you know, take out anything you bring with you. Um, the books will tell you if it's public property or private property. So we don't go on private property. Uh, so, um, we're okay about that. Um, we always think you should bring a spray bottle with water in it because that way you can spray water on it and get a better sense of what the rock looks like. And always bring a backpack or a bag to carry your tools in and whatever you want to take out. A hammer. It doesn't have to be a rock hound hammer. It can be a regular hammer and a screwdriver or a, a chisel or even a garden trowel with the three prongs are really good too. Um, so those are the basic tools that anyone would have where you can pick up really cheaply. It's not expensive to to get ready to go. And you could, I'd imagine, I mean, I know when my kids were younger, you can even get all those things in kid size, you know, yeah. for kids to do, they can get their own little, little ones that they can use that are their size. So if you want to make it a family event, that would exactly. work as well. Now, if you're going to do any hammering, just make sure to wear protective eyewear uh, because you don't want any chips to fly and, and hurt anyone. Great point. So, so safety is always the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very nice to go um, rock hounding in creeks. Um, that's really um, a nice um, activity too. It's a little easier to do. Um, you don't find as much, but you don't have to like constantly be spraying the rock or, or and it's an, it's really very relaxing to play in water. So um, yeah, we, we go to a lot of creeks. Yeah. Yeah. And oceans, if you're lucky enough to be near a rocky beach, then you can find different things. In New England, in Massachusetts, and in Rhode Island, um, we've gone to special rocky beaches. And in in Cape Cod, we found um, ocean granite. And in Rhode Island, we went to Moonstone Beach and found moonstones. Oh, wow. Moonstone Beach, I think, um, was really unbelievable. Um, we took home a lot of uh, gemstones. How many would you? A five-gallon bucket full. Yeah. And, Whoa. Uh, but we only got, when we looked through them um, at home, I, what would you say? We got like a handful, not a handful. Like a quart. A quart. A quart. So it, um, sometimes when you're on the site, it's hard to see, you know, what it is, especially if you're looking for like a shine or, but they were peach moonstones that, that we got at Moonstone Beach. But it's a, it's a, I highly recommend that beach. It's so beautiful. So that was Rhode Island? That one's in Rhode Island? Yeah, Rhode Island. Yeah. Yeah, I really, yeah. And we found that on the internet. Yeah. We found that yeah, on the internet. Yeah. And um, there are places where you can go and pay. Um, now, the thing about that is, in some places, they do something called salting a bucket, where they will take stones that they've collected somewhere else, and they'll mix it in, in a box of dirt or a bag of dirt so that younger children can have a positive experience. And... For a young child, that can be a lot of fun and it can be a really nice 
successful way of introducing them to rock hounding. Um, but for, uh, for a more serious rock hound, you want to go somewhere where you're going to actually dig in the earth or sort through the rocks that are there and go through the, the discovery yourself. But there are really wonderful pay to dig places across the country. Um, and sometimes someone will have a private claim where you have to ask their permission. And sometimes you pay a fee for the, for the right to collect on their claim. And that can be a wonderful experience as well. And it's very respectful of the private property rights mm -hmm. of the mine owner. Nice. So can you give us an idea? Because I'm sure it goes, I just want people to understand. Um, when you say that there's all different things, can you give people the idea of all the different kinds of stones you found in all these different places? Because I know when I started looking at where I wanted to go, I was really impressed with what we can find even here in the United States based on different areas. The United States is really very fortunate that we have a lot of great gemstones and more than we ever imagined. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot, when you study geology and gemstones, you do learn a lot about how the earth formed. Um, I can just tell you from, from our experiences, um, and we describe a lot of our rock hounding experiences on our TikTok page, nice. Gems by the Indigo Sanctuary. So um, I can say that in Arizona, we went to a place called uh, Obsidian Tank, Arizona, near Falstaff. Mm -hmm. And the ground was covered with beautiful black obsidian. It took no effort at all. And in Utah, we went to Milford in the snow. Yeah. And, and we collected obsidian there as well in the beautiful black and brown obsidian in the white snow. So um, that's really exciting. And obsidian is a volcanic glass so it's kind of exciting to find something volcanic because it's that magic and the energy of the, the earth's fire. Yeah. And usually obsidian, you don't have to work too hard to find. It just is everywhere. Usually all the sites, but we always uh, rock hound for obsidian and it always looks slightly different in the, uh, you know, different places. Yeah. 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 Yeah, like the obsidian in uh, New Mexico looks so different than the obsidian in Arizona. Yeah. And um, so as far as diversity, if you're, I've seen a lot of like Lake Superior agates. If you're lucky enough to be in the Minnesota area, beach combing on Lake Superior is supposedly incredibly rich in um, the, these beautiful banded agates and those have been distributed there from glacial movement for you know tens and hundreds of thousands of years so there's you know going to going to lake shores can be really really good um, lake michigan has petoskey mm -hmm. stones and fossilized coral that that you can find um in uh, New Mexico, anywhere in the Southwest, if you're lucky enough to go there or live there, the Southwest is rich with many, many different kinds of, of gems you can find, whether it's agates or, um, or um, one of our new favorites is Picasso marble. Picasso marble is... Oh, I don't know what that is. Yeah. We have a, a YouTube on that. Um, yeah. Oh, cool. It has beautiful patterns. Yeah, yeah. It looks like Picasso paintings. Wow. So, yeah, 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 yeah. People really uh, love agates. Um, we're learning more about agates. It's, it's, it's not, you know, it's very, it's very hard to, to learn about all the different agates. So, um, and it's hard to find a really good agate. <laughs> I really, I mean, there are, there, I think they're all pretty, but, um, you know, it's to find one that has like the intricate designs is it's difficult. It, it is difficult. Yeah. It is. Yeah. 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 Um, I was just reading in this book that if you're looking for a real 
collector's piece, maybe one out of every 10 pieces you'll find, you know, will be collector quality, but they're all beautiful. And, um, and we do appreciate the different things about each stone. They're all different and beautiful in their own way. Um, but I guess, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so what kinds of things, you know, people go, they have this experience, they get to be in nature and all the wonder that that is. And so you collect all these things. And then can you give people some ideas? I know you guys personally do a lot of things and people ideas of what they can do with them. Obviously you can just keep them as is and look at them, but I know that you guys do a lot of different things with the gemstones as well. Uh, the first thing to do would be just to clean it nicely. Mm-hmm. When you bring it back, it's always a good idea, especially if it's being by a stream. It's always a good idea to, to give it a really good washing in soap and water. You know, just so there aren't any bacteria or anything. So that's a really good idea. And we recommend Dawn, Blue Dawn. I know. <laughs> That we've had the most good. That yeah. was our most successful soap, I yeah. think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and sometimes a brush, you know, just yeah. to brush yeah. it, get the dirt off of it. And um, you know, if it's a stone that that is is in a way that that maybe it's an agate, and the light <laughs> can shine through it a little bit on the edges, maybe like a piece of quartz. It's always nice to put them on a window to catch the light coming. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it, it can, whether it's yellow or pink or clear or white, the light coming through just is magical to look at. Um, you know, having a nice display is nice. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be a nice piece of wood you have or a piece of driftwood, um, you know, or, or branches. <laughs> just, you know, it's always nice just to set it up on something so that there's an intention on how to display it. Um, And there's lots of, like there's a beautiful um, Japanese art of stone setting where stones are looked at, stone gazing, certain stones have certain designs and there's certain bases. And it's not that there's that much work done to the stone, it's just having an eye for the natural beauty of the stone and setting it off in a beautiful display. So that's always nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you want to talk about meditating? Yeah, we we always meditate with a stone, and we stay with that particular particular gem for thirty days. So we don't. Uh, some people like doing a different stone every day, but um, with our experiences, uh, we feel that uh, you create a friendship with a gemstone, and. Um, it takes the body a while to unwind. Um, and then of course, you know, you need to sage your stone too, because all that energy you put into it, um, positive or negative, it's energy. You need to sage it. So, um, sage is very easy. It's, you know, you light it and you, you know, move it around the stone or you just put it in sunlight and, you know, pick it up for the next day. But um, I find, for me, I find my meditation is much deeper. Like people like using essential oils to start their meditation or, you, you know, that can help, that can help too. Um, but for us, gemstones are always part of our, our meditation and it's either, you know, in the palm of my hand or on my lap or beside me, but um, it's there. And um, setting an intention with it is, um, or an affirmation is wonderful too, because then you're, you're really, um, you know, putting more of um, positive energy into uh, the whole experience. So, um um, it's wonderful. I mean, color in general, you know, you look at colors and they really open up so many emotions inside you. You have to really think about um, what kind of color you need, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So citrine was like, I've been doing citrine and I guess the yellow 
um, really like, you know, it, it, in the chakra area, it's the stomach area, but, but, but I think yellow in general reminds me of sunlight and brightness and, and it's all in the subconscious. So it's like, yeah, and it's very positive. So, um, yeah, so, um, I would recommend people to think about the chakra, but not so much, um, think about what color you need, you know, what color you need, and then maybe think about the chakra second. Um, what about the energy basis of different stones having sort of different energetic properties? Do you factor that in when you're choosing one too, just as far as, you know, like, uh, for example, amethyst has a different property than rose quartz and that's kind of those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, I think it depends on the person, but, um, people gravitate to purple. People love mm. purple. They love purple. It's just something that people love and I, and blues. That's what we found. Yeah. Blues. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to, um, always, uh, go for a, uh, a black stone. Um, black for me is, um, um, very grounding. So I always, um, well, in our entrance way, we have black stones and that's feng shui. It's a protection stone. Um, I think that you should go with your instinct first and then mm -hmm. research it. That's my opinion, because I did have a yoga student who was having some difficulties and I gave her a piece of rose quartz. And, um, she said to me, the next session she came back, she said, Pam, that rose quartz, um, really held me. And I felt like I was connecting to a higher power, the divine. And I thought, okay, if that's what she felt, that's true. Yeah, it's true. I went home and I researched it, researched it. And the exact words about rose quartz, you connect to a higher power, the divine. So she intuitively knew that that's what it was doing. And, um, and so that's why I always say to people, you know, go with your instinct first and then research, research it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, you really do know, you do know. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think maybe even leave the research out and just trust the truth of your experience. Like your yoga student did, you know what I mean? Because that's you, if it's bringing you something that's for your highest good, great. And I think that the color is just a brilliant idea because it's something that we can just really connect to. And then who knows what we're connecting to, whether it's the color, the energy, the whatever, but we're into it. Like you said, it's all about the intuition. And even so, like when you and I met and I was looking at different stones, I mean, it's also about even, it can be the same stone, but like the connection to that particular one and that kind of thing, just saying like what almost using the, the rocks or the gemstones is as oracles, you know, like, what do I need right now? And just whatever you're drawn to, you're drawn to yeah. rather than trying to, like you're saying, rather than trying to using your intuition and your your innate intelligence rather than trying to externally go up to your head and say, well, the book says <laughs> that I should use this stone, but I'm feeling that stone because then you get into that conflict, you know, you start to have that dissonance. So I love your point about just trusting, you know, your intuition and feeling, feeling what stone you resonate with. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, like, even if you use the chakra system, like a lot of people will come up to us and say, well, what do I need for my heart? My heart is hurting, but it might not necessarily be the heart. It could be like, um, something that affects the heart. It could be a chakra, like the sacral or you, that is affecting the heart. Yes. So so that's why um, it's important to go with your intuition and then and and not research at all, like you said. And I think that's fabulous. And or, you know, if if you like to research, you know, you can do that, too. But sometimes that can get in the way. Research can really get in the way. It can because 
then you don't trust yourself as much. I, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or you bias yourself. I'm a huge researcher. So that's why, I mean, like I'm at a point in my life where I'm really trying to make sure I turn to the wisdom within myself rather than using all the research all the time, because I'm yes. a natural researcher. It's who I am. But right. I recognize the fact that sometimes when I do that, it biases me towards picking something versus listening really to my intuition. Cause then I'm going, which part of me am I listening to? you know, the intellectual cognitive part that's trying to take control or my intuition. And so that's why I think, you know, can't go wrong with your intuition. You know, if you're, if that's what you're really listening to, and it is about, like you said, it's about trusting it and using it enough to, to, to have that trust, you know, to have that trust. And like you said, if you're meditating with it or what you're doing with the rock, you'll have, you know, an experience and, and it should, it will be the experience that you need if you're opening yourself up to you know, what's being offered from the, from the stones. And some places when we go rock counting have really strong energies mm. that we each feel differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That we each feel differently about. And it's um, a gem that comes from a certain place has that energy of the place. So um, it, it's, it's, it's very interesting um, how you can feel about the same time of gemstone that comes from a different from different places it's uh it's interesting it's really like um rhodonite that came from massachusetts um you know had a different feeling and then a friend of ours uh collected rhodonite from was it california Mm -hmm. yeah california so um and um they look similar I don't they the the stone felt so entirely different and I find that rhodonite can look even different you know in other places like I always thought that it looked the same because we we used to buy little beads sometimes that had rhodonite and and uh before we got into rock hounding I always liked rhodonite and um it does. It really, it depends where you collect it. It really depends where you collect it. Yeah. yeah. It, in our studies of agates, they get really into the science of what was happening in the earth when that specific piece of stone was forming. And they said, uh, like, like agates can form in little pockets, you know, that volcanic gases create and minerals fill in those pockets. And right from one pocket to the neighbor pocket, the stones can be totally different, even though they're right next to each other where they were formed. Um, and there's, I think there's a great awe to it that without, you know, delving into the exact science of it, but just the awe of this universe is so amazing that we can have such diversity of color and texture and things to look at and hold and appreciate that um, we live in a really rich environment that offers us all these beautiful things from nature that um, we try to be really respectful of the fact that the earth has so many beautiful things that, that it shares with us, that we try to be respectful when we collect and, um, and we, we just think that's important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we know we're part of nature. I mean, we know that. But when you're out rock hounding, you really feel it so deeply that you are nature and you're it's a union. It's like it's a it's a very spiritual feeling. It really is. And there's no ego attachment there. There's no like like it's really, it's, it's really, it's a very, it's very spiritual. So, um, um, it can be tiring though. It yeah. can be tiring. Really? Tell me yeah. more about that. Um, well, I think the digging, it depends on the type of gem that you're looking for and it can be a little frustrating if you don't find what you thought you'd find. Um, so, um, you really, you really have to have, you have to have patience and it can be physical. Cause you know, when we were going for the road night, you were digging for hours. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and 
it, you know, it, it, it gets tiring and you think, well, maybe I'm digging in the wrong place and, you know, let me look over here and, you know. And sometimes animal spirit guides do intervene. Yeah, yeah. So Andy was digging for rhodonite and rhodochrosite. Rhodochrosite is harder to find than rhodonite. I, I don't know why, but, but um, it, you know, the rhodonite was easier. And, um, and I was getting really tired and uh, uh, we, I just thought, oh, I'll take a break and just wander around, you know, close to where Andy was digging. And I saw this little toad and the toad was jumping and I followed the toad and he jumped right onto a pile of rhodonite and rhodochrosite. And there it was. And I yelled, Andy, I found it. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> so it was like someone left. A pile. And these were really beautiful yeah. stones. It wasn't like someone, I don't, I mean, someone left their odd pieces. These were beautiful, yeah. beautiful gems they were on top of another rock. So um, we always call that little toad our animal guide. And um, we've come across some animal guides, but he was our favorite. Yeah. I think. <laughs> we, were, yeah. we went to um, Virginia and we went to a place that was known for amethyst. And when we got there, there was this ginger cat. And it was a really friendly cat that was just following us really closely. <laughs> and I followed the cat and I found a hole where people had been digging and I started digging and I found one small cluster of, of amethyst crystals and the cat just kept getting our attention and we followed the ginger cat and we found all of this peach moonstone that was the same color as the cat. Oh, oh no. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But so, then, yeah, yeah. when we went to Moonstone Beach in Rhode Island, yeah, that's right. we found more peach moonstone. A lot of times. And as yeah. we were driving away from the site, we passed a house. And what's on the front step? A big ginger cat just sitting there looking at us. Yeah, sometimes you find the same color, you know, animal and the same color stone, you know, within yeah. this, in the, you know, area. Yeah. Even in the obsidian, we saw the oh, yeah. the cows. Yeah. They were the same shade as the obsidian that was in the area. Yeah, in, yeah. in, the, in Utah, these beautiful yeah. black cows were the black spirit guides for the obsidian. Yeah, um, yeah. Even the mahogany, because we yeah. had we found mahogany obsidian and the and some of the cows had like a little shading of yeah. brown and black in them. Yeah. It was really, it was... It, it's really, it's really interesting. It's really interesting how nature is. Yeah, we yeah, found it speaks some. To you. It yeah. speaks to you. Yeah, nature. Yeah. We found some snake spirit guides. We found a big snake in um, New Mexico where we were collecting lapidolite and gelolithium silica, which is beautiful pink and purpley stones. And there was a big snake there. And um, in Pennsylvania, we found a snake. We see a lot of snakes. They're yeah. usually garden snakes. But, yeah. But um, and are they near where the stones are that you need to find them? Because I wouldn't be sticking my hand near where the snake is. <laughs> are you following the snake? What are you doing with the snake? No, they just seem to come as yeah. we're like walking. Yeah. And um, I, for some reason, I'm not scared of of snakes, but um, I'm scared of other things, but not snakes. But um, they, you have to be care yeah. careful. You do. You do. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. We, but we're always on the lookout, and and maybe it's because we we we're so we're so happy, and we we try to just let go and and be mindful of what we're seeing when we're collecting that we pay close attention and we notice the animals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you really do notice the animals. And we love animals, mm -hmm. so we notice them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, and that's it goes back to what you said before, which is you become part of nature, you know, and it's a union. And I think that's beautiful. And when you're in that space, like Andy's saying, you're being mindful and you're in union with nature, then you can 
understand the messages that, that nature has for you, you know, because you're in that moment and you're there in that moment. And then you're really seeing what, what's going on, you know, at that moment. And there's another aspect of mindfulness. And that is when you are rock collecting, you're, you're looking on the ground and you're paying like really close attention to what you're seeing. So you're really in the moment because you could look and see a great find, or if you're not paying attention, you could just pass over it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just, you know, being open and paying attention to it in the moment um, is, is really wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's quite the sensory experience because, you know, you have what you're seeing, but your hands are in the dirt and you're hearing the sounds of nature. And I'm sure you're probably smelling whatever the sound, you know, whatever's out there as well. So it really sounds like a wonderful practice as far as, you know, a presence. of. It, of- it, it really is a wonderful practice. Um, there's a, a great saying that I've seen on T-shirts that, and it says, all who wander are not lost. Some are just looking on the ground for rocks. <laughs> you know, so there's that wonderful feeling of just kind of being in the moment and meandering and just being open to what what you see. Yeah. I saw a bumper sticker. That's so funny because I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, just because I'm wandering doesn't mean I'm lost. Yeah. And I was like, Good point. I was I was like I wanted to pull up next to the person to be like, yeah, that's good. Good point. That's definitely because we need to wonder, we need to wander, we need to create space to be in the moment and have whatever experience we need to have in that moment. Whether it's following that fabulous toad that I'd love to meet someday. <laughs> I'm hoping he should he or she shows up when I go rock hounding, um, you know, or any of the other you know experiences that you can have in nature, you know, and. And a similar one with the, with the toe, but was frogs is, you know, I had an experience somewhat similar in that I went outside, you know, I'm here in Florida now and I haven't lived here for, um, a few years, but so it was different than being from New Jersey. I went out after the rain. Cause when it rains here, it can like rain and, and just flood like instantaneously. So the rain stopped. So I wanted to get the dog out for a walk and I go outside and it was like, I love the way all of a sudden nature knows that the, the, and everything has shifted. And now there's these huge puddles of water that weren't there, but don't you know, it sounds like a concert. The frogs are singing and playing and they're having a party because they're in the moment. The water showed up. So they showed up. I step outside and it's like, whoa, there's a party going on. You know, it just shifted because that's what that moment called for, for the frogs. And rain after rainstorms is one of the best times to go rock counting. Ooh, okay. Because the rain can uncover stones. So it's always a good time to go. Yeah. It's easier to dig too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a wonderful activity and it's really nice that it's not competitive. You're just there in the present moment. And sometimes those moments are, can be difficult, you know, when you're looking for something that you want, maybe the book said something that, isn't really there and you find something else it's it's most of the time the books are right but uh, sometimes they're not you know because it's like a site that was picked over yeah 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 yeah. it was like an old uh article or something (laughs) finding finding the location can be really challenging and we spent in New Mexico, we spent hours trying to find this road cutoff. And um, we finally found the cutoff and we were supposed to turn left and we turned right. But we found some other stones that were gorgeous. And then later someone said, well, you turn left and not right. And we went back. But um, it can be challenging finding your location. Yeah. And getting back to your question, like, what do you do with the stones? Um, talking about children and families, I think getting a rock tumbler is a great, great lapidary tool. And um, also, um, it can teach you a lot of patience because it takes time to tumble stones. 
And if you find your own stones and you tumble them, there's like this deeper connection to it. It's a wonderful for kids of all ages, all ages. So how does that work? I'm not familiar with a rock tumbler, to be honest. Um, well, <clears throat> it's got a small motor and it's got two spindles and, a, and a t- basically a tank, like a rubber tank. And you put your rocks in the, in the container and like sandpaper has different grits of coarseness. You can buy rock tumbler kits that have the grit, it's called grit in it. And you start with the coarse grit and you put your rocks in and your water and the grit and you seal it up and you put it on the machine and it turns like, like, like stones in a stream or moving or the ocean. It turns and it shapes them. And then usually like a week later, you change it and you rinse it out. You make sure you should never put rock tumbling grit down the drain because it can clog it. Oh, good to know. Pour it in a bucket and you put it outside in your garden. And then you go to the softer, the next softer grit and you do that for about a week. And then you do it, we do it three times. And then you do a, uh, a polish grit. Here, I just brought it up because it's sometimes hard. Oh. Yeah, yeah. This isn't closed, so you have to be oh, yeah. careful with it. Oh, yeah. And, and, and here, so it's like a three-week process. Four, at least. Four week. Okay. And yeah. so at the beginning, you have this raw stone, and then at the end, what do you have? Something much softer? Not softer, but smoother. See the stone? And oh, yeah. It, you cover it, and it goes on the machine, and the machine turns it. Oh, wow. So it takes the smooth, it makes the edges smooth and round. And it polishes. This is the first stage. Yeah. But, so you can see that it's still really rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's still really rough. But and, yeah, it, yeah, it gets smoother. But so yeah. go back to, I forget which one of you was saying it, but that, I think it was you, Pam. Is that the, when you go through the tumbling process, that there ends up being a stronger connection to the stone? Yeah. You... Um, I think that, you know, a lot of people buy their, their stones on, um, internet. They don't know where their, their gemstones come from. They're very pretty and they're very proud of how, uh, wonderful they tumbled them. But when you find the stones yourself, um, you're you you found it and that there's another level of connection there's another level of connection also you know which andy and i feel very strongly about is it's ethically sourced yeah that's really um i get that part i was talking about the tumbling process though that adds to the adds to the connection is that what i'm um no it's really okay and then tumbling it because people um, tumbling is a very popular uh, hobby. Um, a lot of people do it, but a lot of people buy their stone oh. order to tumble them. So when you rock hound and then tumble the stone, you're doing both. And yeah. Yeah. And so that second process after you found the stone of tumbling it, because you're spending a lot more time sort of nurturing the stone adds to it. Is that what you're, yeah. that's what it feels like I'm hearing. For a palm stone, you actually, tum- you found the stone, you tumbled the stone. Um, and, you know, like, I mean, like any um, art or hobby, sometimes the stone doesn't come out as, as, you know, is beautiful as you like. So you, you really have to like, you know, see, well, did I, do I need to put it back for the first stage again? Cause it usually takes a week, but sometimes we've had, um, stones, gemstones that take a lot longer. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. a lot of lessons that you learn mm-hmm. along the way. Yeah. It's a very easy process. It's really easy to do. Rock tumbling is an easy, easy process. But in terms of patience and how long it takes, that is not easy. It takes a long time. And then sometimes the stone might have like pits in it that you didn't think it would have. And, you know, it's, it's, um, 
it's it's a it's a very mindful practice. It's don't you think it's yeah. very it's very very mindful, and I think it's excellent for children to learn and entire families do it. Yeah. I, I mean, I hear I hear the opportunity for such acceptance. You know, accepting the stone as it is, accepting you know all of it, all of the imperfections, so to speak. If and like you were saying, it doesn't turn out like you thought it would. But isn't that a great lesson in life? A lot of times, things don't turn out the way. And even when you were talking before about, you know, you go to a specific location, you're looking for something specific, and you can embrace what you find and it just accept the experience for what it is versus trying to force it to be something else. I mean, I hear so many lessons, like you guys are saying just in, in the whole thing, not just the tumbling part, but in the process of, of doing the rock hounding and finding the stones, accepting the stones, accepting yourself, how you respond to the whole process. I mean, there's so much to learn. Um, in the whole thing. It's amazing. It just and, seems like a natural way to learn. And it's a wonderful thing. You can do it so well, or you can do it with others. And, and all of those experiences are rewarding. I think sharing it with others to us is more rewarding. Um, because you, you have like Pam was saying the energy you put into the stone when you find it and you, you tumble it when you do it with someone else as well you have those reminiscences of it. Um, and, and that's, that's really a special thing. Yeah, it really, it really is. I mean, it's, it's really, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing and anybody can do it. Um, it's, and it's, it's just very spiritual. And there was a big, like Pam was saying around the world, there's a big community of rock tumblers and and they do share their experiences and their encouragement and um you know and and that's really nice to be able to share something um simple and good and pure mm-hmm. with people yeah i mean that's really nice mm-hmm. it is it is i'm just going to share a quick story because of what you just said is is and you guys know this because I've told you personally, is that my daughter found a rock when she was about three or four years old in the bottom of a lake in Connecticut. And she was down there and I didn't know what she was doing. And she was under the water for a long time. And when she came up, she could barely swim, but it was because the rock was so huge. And she took that rock and was dragging it to the beach because she wouldn't leave the rock behind. And how she ever found that in the bottom of the lake, I don't know. But She's now 14, 10 years later, Rocky has made it with us everywhere we go. Rocky went in the car, you know, she had to have Rocky that, you know, the unique name Rocky. So Rocky has made it home from Connecticut when we went on that trip and was, has been in her room in different homes. Every time we've moved, Rocky has had to be in the car, not packed away so that we knew where Rocky was at all times. And Rocky still is right under her bed. So, so you can make that connection. And I do think it is a spiritual connection. I mean, how do you explain a four-year-old, you know, being that connected to a rock at the bottom of the lake. And here we are 10 years later and that rock, I I know exactly where it is right now. And it's not even my rock. (laughs) because of her connection to it. Yeah. When, when you go and you find a rock, if you think about it, it's been there for billions of years. And why is it that you came across and looked down and found it? It was as if, you know, you could think it was waiting for me. Yeah. 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 It's really, it's fun. And we could probably do a whole program on rock tumbling. I, 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 I am definitely going to do rock tumbling with my grandchildren. Oh yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and, yeah. Rock awesome. and rock hounding, yeah. but it's really, uh, cause actually I, it's always, um, difficult for me to wait for the end you know, process of a uh, rock being tumbled. Uh, we have other lapidary equipment that is probably a little harder to use, but it's faster. So um, it's that's easier for me. Well, so much great information. 
for today. And I think what I'd like to do now is create some sparks of wisdom and hear what you guys want to take all that and make it in uh, a titrated down form. Do some tumbling. Sparks of wisdom. Oh, 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 oh. Sparks of wisdom. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, Pam, let's hear it. Raw pounding is so much fun. And um, it's a great family activity as well. And um, we just love it. And we know you will too. And be open to the experience. It can be frustrating. It can be exciting. Uh, but be open to whatever experience you're going to have and, and you'll be richer for it. Beautifully said. Pam and Andy, thank you so much for joining me today and educating us all about rock hounding. Can you let people know a little bit more about the Indigo Sanctuary as well as how to get a hold of you? Yes, the Indigo Sanctuary is um, an, it's a pro- program that we established to help people find their spiritual daily home practice and uh, and get the most out of it. So we like to provide resources and information and guidance and products to help them with having a home sanctuary and a daily home practice. And we are, as we discussed, rock hounds and lapidary artists, and we're sound healers as well. So we offer uh, handmade seven metal singing bowls and um, artisan products for home sanctuaries and malas for people to use in their home practice and uh, ethically sourced gemstones and and crystals and gemstone and crystal jewelry and things of, of that nature. And um, our website is www.theindigosanctuary.com. And you can follow our rock hounding adventures on TikTok at Gems by the Indigo Sanctuary. And we're on Instagram at the Indigo Sanctuary and on Facebook, the Indigo Sanctuary. And uh, we welcome people to contact us if they have questions about home practice and home sanctuaries and sound healing and, and rock hounding. We welcome people to write to us and we'll try to offer whatever advice and guidance we can. Well, thank you so much for all of that. It's always a pleasure to talk to you both. I just want to thank the listeners for listening and just remind you all that wonderful information Andy just gave you will be on the webpage. So you can just click right on the link to get directly to them. So until next time, be you, be love and be present.